welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today is February 18th, and today we're going to look at Genesis 49. Just as a reminder, every day I read from one chapter of the Bible. So today we're going to look at Genesis 49, and then I offer a brief explanation of key ideas, themes, and theology very briefly. My goal is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes every day. So let's get into our reading today from Genesis 49. Genesis 49 says this, And then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourself together that I may tell you what what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength. Preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, and then he defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foil to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choicest vine. He has washed his garments in wine, and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eye, his eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that at a resting place was good, and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear, and he became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heel, so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Astra's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bow, and a fruitful bow by a spring, his branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely, and yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts of the womb. The blessing of your father are beyond the blessing of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in, in the morning devouring the prey, and at evening dividing the spoil. 
All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. And then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephraim the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Maccabah to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephraim the Hittite to possess as a burying place. And there he buried Abraham and his Sarah, his wife, and there he buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were brought from the Hittites. And when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Well, this is our reading today from Genesis 49. You know, Adam failed to protect the garden that God gave him in Genesis 3. And for the most part, the generations that immediately followed him disobeyed their creator in the exact same way. In fact, it was not until the faithfulness of Abraham in Genesis 12 that God's plan to crush the, crush the devil in Genesis 3.15 began to move ahead with full force. Unbelief punctuated the patriarchal era, but our father's purpose and redemption advanced onward. Having seen Yahweh's promise passed from Abraham to his grandson Jacob, we now look today at Genesis 49 to study the transfer of this blessing from Jacob to his sons and finally to all the people of God. In fact, our chapter today records Jacob's final words regarding his eldest son Reuben. And, and since the oldest boy in each Israelite family would come to occupy a special place before the Lord, Reuben likely expects to receive a double portion of his father's blessing. And yet Reuben's chest probably swells with pride as his father begins to prophesy over him to commend his preeminence and power and dignity. And yet Reuben's bubbles soon burst when his father revokes these privileges. Reuben may have an advantage according to the world, but that is of no benefit in the eyes of God. Until now, Jacob has said nothing about his eldest son's sin with his surrogate wife, Billa, in Genesis thirty-five twenty-two. But silence does not indicate Jacob's ignorance, for this violation cost Reuben his place of preeminence, according to Genesis 49.4. And with this sin, Reuben has shown himself to be as unstable as water, slippery in his character, unsteady in righteousness and wisdom. Reuben has also forfeited his rightful place as the family leader. Now, children often inherit the sinful proclivities of their parents, and the history of the tribe of Reuben bears this out. No prophet, judge, or king came from Reuben. Instability characterized this family, manifested in the indecisiveness of this tribe when God's people later came under attack in Judges 4.1 through Judges 5.16. And though blessed to be counted among the Lord's own, Reuben and his descendants nevertheless reaped the consequences for their sin. As John Christendom preached, Reuben shows us that no advantage ever comes from natural advantage unless accompanied by good deeds of free will. We cannot expect to escape God's discipline when we transgress his will. Unconfessed sin bears rotten fruit on earth, though not necessarily right away. If you are suffering the consequences of your actions, do not consider God unjust. Trust the Lord to work out his good will in your life. Reuben lost the privileges of the firstborn because he slept with his father's concubines. Now, wanton violence and anarchy cost Simon and or Simeon and Levi the same right. Jacob's next son in the birth order is Judah. And so he asks, will he share the fate of his three older brothers? Well, an overview of Judah's life is so necessary to understand our chapter today. Recall that Judah sinned grievously when he led the sale of Joseph into Egyptian slavery in Genesis 37. And later on, he wickedly failed to provide a husband and thus an heir to provide to his daughter-in-law Tamar. And were this the end of his story, Judah would have lost the greatest portion of Jacob's favor as well. 
And while Judas showed himself sensitive to the Spirit when he confessed his evil deeds concerning Tamar, Judas' repentance bore its fullest fruit later on when he offered to sacrifice himself and take Benjamin's place as Joseph's slave in Genesis 44. Now, Judah inherits the firstborn's rights because of his selflessness. And Jacob declares in our chapter today that Judah's brothers will praise him and he will have his land on the neck of his enemies in Genesis 49.8. In other words, Judah will triumph over his foes. Jacob's other sons will also bow to Judah according to our chapter today. And this predicts future events for Joseph received this homage during Judah's lifetime in Genesis 44.14. Well, Judah later becomes Israel's chief tribe, the initial head of the nation after Joshua's death in Judges 1. 1 through 2. And the clan that produces David and his descendants, according to 1 Samuel 17, 12, and 2 Samuel 2, 4. John Calvin says, The kingdom which he, Jacob, transfers to the tribe of Judah, he declares, shall be no common kingdom, because from it at length shall proceed the fullness of the promised benediction. The abundance depicted in Genesis 49, 11 proves Calvin's point. One of Judah's sons will rule over a kingdom so blessed that costly vines, the source of vine and and income, will be hitches for donkeys. These animals would surely chew through such vines, but this is not a problem, since the number of vines they own in the kingdom is so vast that losing them will not cause financial ruin. Let's consider that Judah's repentance and exaltation, it illustrates the biblical principle that whoever humbles himself will be exalted in Matthew 23:12. Judah's greatest son, Jesus of Nazareth, the Lord of Lords, uh, and the King of Kings is a subject of the final object of this prophecy. But we too will be lifted up if we humble ourselves in the service to the Father as Jesus did. Humility and self-sacrifice is the only path to exaltation. Now, following the blessing of Dan, Jacob exclaims that he is waiting for the salvation of the Lord in Genesis 49:18. And though it may not seem fit to fit the context here, there is good reason for him to pause and to plead for his family's redemption. His words regarding Dan and Gad indicate that his offspring, including other tribes, will be troubled by enemies and need divine help in order to survive. Gad, the first tribe addressed in our chapter today, will, will, is going to live the warrior's life. He's going to have to deal continually with the raiding uh, armies, according to verse 19 of our chapter, because the tribe later settles out of the Jordan River on the border with other nations, according to Joshua 13, 24, and 28. And yet Gad's sons will raid at the heels of their enemies, according to Genesis 49, 19. Now, Jacob is predicting that the tribe will overcome their foes and that Gadites actually do come to be known for their military skill in 1 Chronicles 5, 18-22. Such victory, John Calvin comments, is a foretaste of the victory of our Father will give us to his people. And when he says this prophecy may be applied to the whole church, was assailed not for one day only, but is perpetually crushed by fresh attacks until at length God shall exalt it to honor. Now, Jacob speaks of great wealth for the tribe of Asher in verse 20 of our chapter today. And, and this tribe is going to settle along the shore of the Mediterranean in a fertile area north of the Carmel Mountain Range, according to Joshua 19, 24 through 31, where nearby trading routes enable Asher's offspring to provide royal delicacies, as we see in Genesis 49:20, food for palaces near and far. The prophetess Anna, who faithfully worshipped and proclaimed God's redemption, came from the tribe of Asher, according to Luke 2, 36-38. Now, Genesis 49-21 is difficult to translate. 
The animal imagery in the immediate context of verse 9, 14, 17, and 27 make it likely that Jacob is likening Naphtali to a doe, as reflected in our translation. And yet, the idea here may also be that he will speak beautiful words or good words to his kinsmen. Jacob is possibly predicting that Naphtali will start off as a free spirit and then settle down with his family and the nation. And even the footless Naphtali will one day have a permanent home in Canaan near the Sea of Galilee, according to Joshua 19, 32-39. Barak, whose army saved Israel from King Jabin of Hazor in Judges 4, is one famous Naphtalite. Matthew Henry reflects on, this, on the different skills and the personalities of Jacob's sons in Genesis 49, saying this, Among Israel, God's Israel, then, he writes, is to be found a great variety of dispositions contrary to each other and yet all contributing to the beauty and the strength of the body. Indeed, we know that the Lord will use our differences to build up the body of Christ today. How is God using your unique gifts and personality for the benefit of other believers, Matthew Henry writes. Well, appropriately enough, given that he has been the most righteous of Jacob's 12 sons, Joseph receives a blessing that is paralleled only by the one uh, Jacob gives to Judah in Genesis 49, 8-12. In fact, our chapter today is one more indication that Joseph's years of faithful service to God and men have not been in vain, and he is rewarded for his devotion. As with Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, Jacob offers a succinct summary of Joseph's life. Archers bitterly attacked him in verse 23. That is Joseph's brothers Potiphar's wife and others did their best to destroy this son nevertheless Joseph was not defeated because he was in the hands of the mighty one of Jacob this name of the Lord is well known in scripture elsewhere appearing as the mighty one of Israel for example in Isaiah 1 24 the champion of his cause and the savior of his people the hand that upheld Joseph is the same strong hand that delivers God's chosen judges his enemies and seduces sinners to bring them into his kingdom as we see in Deuteronomy 2 15 Joshua 4 23 through 24 and Acts eleven twenty one. Now, this emphasis on the presence of God, it's a lesson that we must never forget. Worldly success, it can blind us. It can make us make it easy to believe the lie that we can also prevail with God through our own efforts. In fact, this is what happened to the offspring of Joseph's son Ephraim centuries later when they led the northern kingdom Israel into idolatry and self-reliance and earned the Lord's condemnation in Hosea 9. Though blessed to share Joseph's blessing in Genesis 48, 14-16, Ephraim's clan felt the curse of the covenant when the tribe shunned Yahweh. Those who profess Christ can do the same thing according to Jeremiah 18, 1 through 10 and 1 Corinthians 5. And so we ought to beware of the dangers of complacency and apathy. In fact, we can say Joseph's blessing includes all spheres of life, focusing especially on the fertility of agriculture from the underground springs of water and the fertility and childbearing. Here again is an echo of God's original blessing on Adam and Eve for them to be fruitful and multiply. They failed to conform to the Lord's revealed will, but Joseph's faithful offspring, which by extension includes all righteous believers, will succeed and inherit the earth. Our Savior said this in Matthew twenty four thirteen: The one who endures to the end will be saved. You see, confessing Christ is not enough. Our profession of faith is useless if we do not possess a living faith in Christ and in his promises, as James 2, 14-26 tells us. We must rely daily on the hand that sustained Joseph and heeded the warnings of Scripture so that we will persevere in faith. What evidence is, is there in your life today that you trust in the Lord alone for every good thing that comes from his hand alone? 
You know, like it or not, we're all shaped by our ancestors. Scripture does not teach fatalism whereby our parents' influence absolves us from responsibility of our own actions. God visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the later generations of those who hate him, as we see in Exodus 25 through 6. Because these generations usually repeat their father's sins, not because the Lord punishes us for our our parents' transgressions. And nevertheless, the Bible is clear that our lives are in large measure molded by the sins and the righteousness of our forefathers. Benjamin and his offspring are good examples of this truth. Jacob blesses his youngest son in our chapter today, revealing that this tribe will be like the wolf who devours its prey and in the evening uh, divides its spoil in Genesis 49, 27. One commentator has noted that wolves typically kill more than they can eat, and so this metaphor tells us that the tribe of Benjamin will satisfy himself and then divvy up what is left over for the others. In other words, there is potential for this clan to enjoy abundant success within the family of Israel. And so Benjamin went on to succeed and father many godly individuals. Ehud, a Benjamite judge, rescued Israel from Moab in Judges 3, 12-30. Jonathan hailed from the tribe of Benjamin. Unlike his father Saul, he loved David. Esther, who saved her people from extinction during Persian rule, and her cousin Mordecai also counted Benjamin as a forefather. Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles, was a Benjaminite. And though he, they had sinful ancestors like the rest of us, all these persons finally chose righteousness over evil. Now, the wolf imagery is also foreboding, a warning of potential dangers ahead for Benjamin. This tribe would also be capable of producing unfaithful men. Aside from King Saul, there is a ghastly episode in the period of Judges when certain Benjaminites raped a Levite concubine, leading to her death. The authorities in this tribe were unwilling to punish these evil men and compounded sin when they rose to defend them in Judges 19-21. These men chose to follow the sin of their clan, and they suffered the inevitable result. Now, for good or for evil, mothers and fathers have the greatest influence on their children. If parents imitate the example of the righteousness and trust in the Lord and in his promises, their children will be far more likely to follow the risen Christ. Those parents who love the Lord in words only and repeat the sins and even the enslavement of their fathers will likely provoke their children to do evil. So be mindful of the example that you set for your children and for other young people today. And our passage today is the first place in Scripture where we read explicitly that Jacob's sons become the 12 tribes of Israel in verse 28 of our chapter today. Israel's blessing will extend to all of his descendants in the years ahead. Well, prior to his death, Jacob obligates all of his sons to bury him in Canaan in verses 29 through 32, an order he earlier gave to Joseph alone in Genesis 47. Now, despite the success that Israel and his sons have enjoyed in Egypt, Jacob knows that the future does not lie there. Life is found in the promised land, the place of the Lord's special presence. And so to remain willingly outside of that land is to choose death over life. Of course, the full canon of scripture tells us Canaan was only the first step towards a new heaven and a new earth in which God will bless all who share Abraham's faith in Isaiah 61, 17 through 25, Galatians 3, 9, and Revelation 21. So like Abraham and Isaac, Jacob demonstrates his trust in the Lord's promise and asking to be buried uh, buried with them at Machopah in, in the good land that the Creator promised to his family in Genesis 49, 29 through 32. And so God's faithfulness to his word guarantees Jacob's salvation. And he teaches his sons this lesson by having them bury him there. John Calvin wrote that Jacob does not wish to be carried into the land of Canaan as if he would be nearer to heaven for being buried there, but that being dead, he might claim possession of a land which he had held during his life because it was profitable that the memory of the promise should be renewed. 
by this symbol among his surviving sons in order that they may aspire to it. Now Egypt holds Jacob in high esteem. The mourning period observed when he dies in Genesis 49:33 through 53 is only two days shorter than the one prescribed for a Pharaoh's death. They also embalm Jacob's body at Joseph's behest for the long journey ahead. The Israelites buried their dead instead of burning them because preserving the body intact exhibited a belief that God will renew what he made very good in Genesis 1, 26-31, a resurrection to life incorruptible as we see in, in Daniel 12, 2 and 1 Corinthians 15, 42. Thus, later Israelites continued to bury their dead. Cremation was avoided since it was applied to heinous sinners in Leviticus 20, 14 and Leviticus 21, 9. It was practiced in ancient times by pagan and idol idolers. Now, Matthew Henry says this, it is proper to show our respect to the poor body of which we look for a glorious and joyful resurrection. Scripture does not forbid cremation, but most Christians have buried their dead for the same reason ancient Israel did. In any case, our physical bodies are not ignoble homes for the soul. Belief in a future resurrection on a renewed earth is made manifest when we take good care of ourselves, body and spirit. And when God renamed the patriarch Jacob and his descendants Israel, he chose a new name on account of Jacob's striving with men of the Lord in Genesis 32. In fact, that striving with God, which is part of the meaning of the word Israel, has a double meaning. First, people can strive with God through fighting on his side in battle or through uh, God fighting on their side. During the Old Covenant, there were many occasions when the Lord fought alongside Israel, for example, in Exodus 14.14. And on the other hand, striving with God can refer to the Lord fighting against Israel and vice versa. In fact, Israel fell into sin under the Old Covenant. Their covenant Lord fought against them, often by raising up foreign adversaries to discipline them, as in Leviticus 26, 27 through 33, and 2 Kings 17, 6 through 23, and 2 Chronicles 36, 1 through 21. Well, despite the possibility of judgment, a possibility that was actualized again and again under the Old Covenant, God promised a glorious final destiny for those people with whom he would struggle Israel. This promise was delivered early on in the Lord's repeated appearances to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the fullest declaration of this promise occurs in the early years of of the Almighty's covenant with Abraham. It's found in our chapter today. Well, we can't get into everything in Genesis 49, but we do note that Jacob Jacob's blessing in this chapter, it looks forward to the success of the people of Israel. True, some tribes do not fare as well as others, as we've talked about today, and yet the great blessings on Judah and Joseph in particular point to the greater days for the nation. Joseph's fruitfulness alludes to the blessing of the offspring of the descendants of Israel, one of the key parts of the Abrahamic promise given in Genesis 12. Judah obtains victory over its enemies and the obedience of the peoples, hearkening back to the promise that Abraham's offspring would rule and even conquer in Genesis 17:6 and Genesis 22:15 through 18. Now, Judah's reign over the nation, it looks looks to a glorious future for the king from that tribe and from all those whom he represents. People the world over will obey him, evidencing faith in the Lord who places the Judaic king on the throne. Israel will swell to an incalculable number as the Lord takes Gentiles according to the flesh and makes them full citizens of his people according to the heart, according to Romans 11. And because we are grafted into the tree of Israel by faith when we trust in Christ alone, we can be assured that we will enjoy the future glory promised to Israel. Even when things look darkest for the church, we know that the days to come, we will see victory for the Lord and his people. Well, before we even examine the Jacob's blessing on Zebulun, 
We need to finish discussing the important words spoken over Judah in verses 8 through 12. With good reason, interpreters throughout history have regarded Judah's blessing as one of the earliest predictions of the Messiah. That a king par excellence would come from Judah is found in Genesis 49.10. The scepter, the symbol of kingly authority, will remain in Judah's hand until tribute comes for him or until Shiloh comes. The Hebrew wording behind this phrase is picked up in Ezekiel 21.27, which speaks of Israel's crown being restored to the one to whom judgment belongs after God in his wrath exiles a nation from the promised land Ezekiel understands Genesis 49:10 to be a messianic passage connected to the restoration of the Davidic monarchy which was the prophetic hope according to Amos 9 11 through 15 in sum, Jacob in Genesis 49.10 says that the royal authority of Judah's tribe will remain until the Judite that God appoints appears. There will be a traceable royal lineage culminating in the birth of the anointed one who fulfills this promise. But he's not only Judah's son, he is also Judah's Lord. This one is the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, David's greatest son, according to Matthew 2.2. Now, this Messiah will rule like a lion who kills its prey and then sits down to enjoy its meal, leaving other animals at ease because it satisfied itself. God's kingdom is established as he defeats Satan, sin, death, and all other enemies. But he will not always be on the prowl. He will reign until all of his enemies are under his feet, and then he will deliver up the kingdom of God to God the Father, and his people will live confidently in his presence forever, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 20-28. Matthew Henry says this, Judah is compared not to a lion rampant, but always tearing, always raging, always ranging, but to a lion couchant, enjoying the satisfaction of his power and success without creating vexation to others, that is, to be truly great. Now, Judah's reign incorporates Zebulun, about whom little is known, except that sea trade will enrich this tribe, according to Genesis 49.13. Greater still will be the riches for these sons of Zebulun who trust the Messiah. Ambrose of Milan comments on our chapter today, saying that Jesus is the Lord by nature, but a brother by grace. God is not a person with whom contact is impossible. He is not wholly other. Without sacrificing his kingly rule, God chose to become incarnate as one of us, and yet without sin, in order to defeat sin and death and reconcile his people. In coming as a son of Judah, the son enables us by faith to be his brother and friend in John 15, 15. Now, reporters covering the details of a gruesome crime, they typically interview the perpetrator's family and childhood friends. You're going to frequently see these people saying such things like, he was such a good boy, I never thought he would do this. He started his life so well, I don't know what went wrong. As we're going to see, many of these same things could also be said of the tribe of Dan. Jacob blesses Dan in our chapter today, the first time in Genesis 49, that he blesses a son by a concubine instead of one of his wives. And because of his mother's identity, it was possible that Dan's offspring would not be regarded as a full part of Israel. And this seemed to be the reason behind Jacob's special designation of him as one of the tribes of Israel in Genesis 49:16. Israel's affirmation of Dan affirms the full citizenship of his other 11 sons in the future nation, even those whom Leah and Rachel did not birth. And yet Dan will also show himself to be an Israelite through his powerful judgeship. Jacob calls him a serpent in verse 17 of our chapter today, having in mind a poisonous yellow desert snake who would hide in crevices or burrow in the sand and strike unsuspecting people or animals. 
And like this serpent, Dan will be small compared to his prey, but far deadlier than his victims suspect. The tribe of Dan does indeed end up as one of Israel's smaller clans, and yet perhaps the most well-known of all the judges emerges from this tribe centuries after Jacob. Samson, a Danite, would rescue the Israelites from the Philistines, usually by relying on his own craftiness, as in Judges 13-16. through 16. And though Dan the serpent saved Israel in Samson's day, his remaining history would not be so celebrated. And later on, Danites craftily steal an idol and slaughter a quiet, unsuspecting people in Judges 17 through 18. And both of these activities flagrantly violate the will of God, as a note in Judges 18:27 in the Reformation Bible tells us. And it, when it says this, we too must beware like the Danites. We start out well and reject God's will. Let us then press on and persevere in faith so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience as we see in Hebrews 4.11. In Hebrews 12.1-2 says the Christian life is a marathon. Even though all with true faith are justified in God's sight and are secure in their salvation from the moment they first trust in Jesus, Christians are not those who make a decision for Christ and then live a life indistinguishable from the world around them. Those with true faith persevere until the end, and only those who persevere until the end have true faith in Christ. True Christians press on and obey the Lord by His grace through the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. Now, after prophesying over his firstborn, Jacob then turns to bless Simeon and Levi, his two oldest sons after Reuben. Jacob's words for these men are not any better than those he spoke to his firstborn, as our chapter today reveals. And as with Reuben, the blessing on Simeon and Levi is tied to a past event. The reference to violence and killing in Genesis 49, 5-6 recall their perversion of the sign and the seal of circumcision to exact revenge upon the Shechemites for violating their sister Dinah in chapter 34. While no direct commentary on the immorality of this event has yet been voiced, and although many contextual clues have indicated that God was displeased. Now the blessing on Simeon and Levi removes any any ambiguity about their deeds. Their wanton slaughter over an entire city was wrong, and their families will feel the consequences. All of Jacob's sons are brothers, but he calls Simon and Levi brothers explicitly here, since the sword binds them together in a way that the, that didn't bind the other brothers. The Hebrew term for violence here tells us an abhorrent ruthlessness motivated their behavior. Simeon and Levi even hamstrung Shechem's body oxen needlessly, injuring innocent animals and ruining them as beasts a burden. On account of their sin, the brothers will be scattered in the promised land without permanent inheritance rights. As expected, Jacob's words would come true in the history of the nation of Israel. Simeon is the only tribe Moses does not bless in Deuteronomy 33, and he has given only a select number of cities in Judah's territory in Joshua 19, 1-19. The tribe of Judah eventually absorbs the Simeonites and they disappear from history. Levi is also scattered throughout Israel, but his tribe fares better in the history of redemption. Moses, the son of Levi, and according to Exodus 2, 1-10, later mediates the Old Covenant. However, God would choose the Levites to be his priests in Numbers 3, 5-13, restoring honor to these displaced sons of Jacob. John Calvin writes that God's incredible goodness unexpectedly shone forth when that which was punishment of Levi became change in the reward of the priesthood. The different destinies of Levi and Simeon show that Jacob's words could be tempered by grace. And though cursed and scattered, Levi was later exalted, not of his own merits, but because of the Lord's mercy. Our God is one who is delighted to extend his grace, and we should not be shocked when the most wicked sinners embrace his mercy. With our prayers and with our gifts, let us support the church's outreach to those who seem to be the farthest from the kingdom of God.
Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave. My name is Dave, and today is February 18th, and we've looked at Genesis 49. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.